Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sharing the Hope from the Mike and Mason Foundation. We'll present uh, various folks in the field of hypoplastic left heart syndrome research, as well as parents and people involved with the various organizations that support both parents and patients and researchers. I am joined today by Diane Pickles. Diane Pickles is the program director of Project Singular at Additional Ventures, a soon to launch large scale genetic sequencing effort to fuel single ventricle heart disease research. Prior to joining Additional Ventures, Diane was the American Heart Association's program director for One Brave Idea, an adult coronary heart disease research initiative based in Boston. Diane's work in cardiovascular research follows two decades spent advancing policy solutions for a wide range of nonprofits in public health, education, criminal justice, and other public interest issue areas. Diane has deep expertise in patient advocacy, stakeholder engagement, project management, community organization, media advocacy, coalition building, lobbying, and fundraising and development. A longtime volunteer in the single venture community, Diane is a member of the executive leadership team of the Fontaine Outcomes Network, a longitudinal registry of single ventricle patients. Diane and her husband have two adult sons, one who has hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Your bio speaks pretty highly. You've basically been in and out and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I call my career a very eclectic career. It has not been a like a. St- I mean, the two decades that I was doing policy advocacy was sort of this straight path. Um, but then I made this kind of really radical change a couple of years ago to move into the research space. But I think that my paid job has always been complemented by all the work I was doing as a volunteer in the single ventricle space. And so what's great about this position that I'm currently in is it's just such a nice combination of all of those skill sets and experiences kind of in in one position, kind of blending my personal and professional passions. Okay. Well, so I guess let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did you become interested, involved with hypoplastic left heart problem? Yeah. I mean, me personally, um, I have a I have two boys. My older son, Matthew, born heart healthy. And then our second son was prenatally diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Uh, I was about four and a half or five months pregnant. We were given very, very low odds that he would survive at all and that his quality of life would be anything approaching relatively normal. It was a very hard diagnosis, obviously. And he got through the surgeries and he did well. He's currently 28 years old, which is pretty amazing. It is amazing. But for me, yeah, and he's doing really well. But for me, I think that the experience was so profound and life-altering and painful that I really had this very strong desire to get involved and give back to the community and improve things in, in whatever way I could. I felt very called and driven to do that. And so I found many different volunteer pathways to do that through work at I volunteered at Boston Children's Hospital and a couple on a couple initiatives there locally. And then I got involved with MPC QIC and Sisters by Heart as a volunteer member of the leadership teams there as well. And then in the last couple of years, it's been really focused on the Fontana Outcomes Network. But really, you know, again, just for me, it was about taking that experience of Jake's life and, you know, struggles and making it mean something valuable, I guess, for someone else and make it easier for another family if I could at all do that. Very good. Very good. So you're you're involved with and have been involved with several efforts in the single ventricle community over the years. So I'm going to I'm going to open it up to you, which 
one would you like to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start with why don't we start with additional ventures and we can talk about that, and then I uh, we can talk about the Fontaine Outcomes Network too because I think those are you know they're very different. Obviously, additional ventures is a is a foundation, a nonprofit foundation, and Fontaine Outcomes Network is kind of more of an initiative. But let's I can talk about my job at Additional Ventures and then. <laughs> talk more specifically about Project Singular, which is the project that I coordinate and direct at Additional Ventures. But, you know, Additional Ventures, as I said, it's a nonprofit research foundation. It was founded by Aaron Hoffman and Mike Schreffer about three years ago. And we are solely, we are focused in our biomedical research space. We are solely focused on finding curative solutions for single ventricle heart disease. And by curative solutions, what we mean by that is treatments, medications, or devices, therapies of some kind that will enable a normal longevity and quality of life. And obviously, we know that you know we've made such dramatic improvements in surgical treatments and getting kids through the surgeries, but there's nothing currently that will provide that normal lifespan and dramatically reduce the many comorbidities that reduce quality of life. Before Additional Ventures even launched, they pulled together a very, and this was before I was with the foundation, so I'm saying they pulled together a very large comprehensive group of researchers, engineers, tissue engineers, clinicians, kind of anyone and everyone that touched the research space that related to single ventricle in some way, pulled them together and put together a research roadmap. And that was really designed to look at what's the current state of the field now in terms of what we know and, and what are the gaps, what don't we know and what don't we have right now and what's our desired state. And that research roadmap really guides all of the investments of the foundation. Um, and so we, we invest in research initiatives that you know will help us achieve the goals that were laid out in that research roadmap. We do targeted investments um, in particular researchers and research initiatives through some a couple of different RFP grant initiative programs. We also invest in team science. We have something called the Cures Collaborative, which is a group of 10 investigators across different labs across the country who are all working together on a coordinated effort to develop a new therapy for a single ventricle. We also invest in building infrastructure. And so really building some of the data infrastructure that was identified as a real gap. Um, and so Additional Ventures is funding Action, uh, we're funding the Fontaine Outcomes Network, and we're also funding the FORCE Registry, which is based, it's a imaging registry based at Boston Children's. And last but not least, we're really investing in building community. So one of the other gaps that's, that was identified during the research roadmap process was the fact that there's not enough researchers in the single ventricle space, and we need to attract new researchers and keep them here in this space because we just need more people doing this research. And so we're also investing in in really trying to build that community and support particularly young investigators to get them excited about single ventricle research and hopefully keep them here. So just to give you an idea of scope, in 2020 to 21, uh, we committed a little over $26.5 million in funding for research and infrastructure development. The work is really, really, I think, exciting. And I think gives me as a parent tremendous hope that we will make really dramatic discoveries. So that's a bit about additional ventures. And then Project Singular, and I'm happy to talk, dig in and answer any questions that you might have on that. But Project Singular is a very specific initiative. It's part of our infrastructure development initiatives at Additional Ventures. 
where our goal is to be able to understand what are the genetic causes of single ventricle heart disease. And it it's likely going to be multifactorial. There's probably going to be multiple genes or the interaction of genes and environment. But we really want to understand what causes single ventricle, uh, as well as what are the any uh, genetic underpinnings of some of the many comorbidities. And the goal there is if we can understand what causes single ventricle, we can hopefully do some risk stratification, right? We might be able to say these single ventricle patients are much more likely to experience arrhythmias or PLE or some of the other complications. But we also will have the ability to develop better treatments, more targeted treatments and therapies. And so in order to achieve our goal of understanding the genetics, we are aiming to recruit at least 5,000 single ventricle patients and many, as many of their immediate family members as are interested in participating to participate in single ventricle. And that will mean they'll go online, they'll read, they'll, we have a website, they'll learn about the study and consent all online. And then we will mail to their homes a, a DNA collection kit, a saliva collection kit that they'll send back. And we will ask them to also share their cardiac medical records. And then we will make all of that data, the de-identified data, so no identifiers, but we'll make the de-identified data available free of charge to all qualified researchers worldwide. And that is our ambitious goal and a really important one. And that's that's the what I get the privilege of working on every day in additional ventures. Well, that's awesome. You know, when we started the Micah Mason Foundation, that was one of the things we identified as a big gap was freely available information. Given that these it's a fairly rare disease you don't have enough data at a single institution to really make good research, but everybody was still kind of in the hoard the data mode. Yeah. And even with the the big registries like NPCQIC and, and now Cardiac Networks United, which I'm really hoping, I'm hoping it goes the right direction and being available for everybody. That was one of the really big gaps we saw. Yeah, we need more data. We need, we need that data infrastructure and we need to democratize the data, right? It needs right. to be available for research. I mean, that's why our intention here is not just to fund with Project Singular. We're not looking to fund one research study, right? We want to fund many, 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 many. And we don't know where the greatest discoveries will come from. But if we're not willing to like share that data, we won't have the researchers digging into it. We won't make those discoveries. And we're also really hoping that we will be able to find ways to integrate our data with other data sets, whether that's, you know, particularly Fontan Outcomes Network, that's a real desire to be able to find ways to integrate some of that data together so that we can add even more power to that data set because we would be adding that clinical data. So That's awesome. <laughs> I'm very, very happy to hear it as, a, as an engineer and a nerd <laughs> and someone who <laughs> works with a lot of data. It's been a big question in my mind as to, yeah, even listening to the bigger registries talk about it, I'm always thinking in my mind, like, it needs to go to everybody because as a parent, I don't care who comes up with the solution. I don't care if it's, you know, Boston or Mexico City or London. Or, I don't care. I care that there's a solution, not who did it. <laughs> That's right. And I want it to be, we have such urgency around it, right? Like we just, we don't have time to wait. I often describe it as, you know, having a 28 year old with single ventricle. It's like the clock is ticking very loudly in my ear every day. And I'm sure in his ear as well. So we have such urgency. We don't have time to wait and we don't have time to argue <laughs> about how it's all going to, we just have, we have to find ways to get it done. And one of the things that I've been saying 
So I sit on the executive leadership team of the Fontana Outcomes Network. And I do that as a volunteer. That's not part of my paid job. But what I've been saying at that table often is on days that things are hard, I would challenge us instead of saying, we can't do something to to instead say, how can we? Because it's just too important to patients and families. We don't have time to wait for those solutions. Going a little bit into the additional ventures space, how did you get involved with that? And have you been there from the Uh, beginning? No. So I've been there. It will be only about a year. I joined a, no, two years, two years ago, two years in February that I joined additional ventures. It's gone so fast. Honestly, the work is like, is just so incredibly rewarding that um, it's gone fast. So two years. And I, as you said in my bio, I was at the time I was working in another, on another research initiative for the American Heart Association. I had learned a lot about research, but really obviously had a, I shouldn't say obviously, but I, ha- I had a strong desire to be more in the congenital heart disease space, right? And, and specifically, if I could, single ventricle. And I had been watching sort of the work that Additional Ventures was doing prior to launch and then when they launched, and that the research roadmap was such a powerful document to me. And I, I'm not a scientist, so I don't understand all of what's spelled out in the re- research roadmap, right? But I understand enough to know that an organization convened a really large group of really smart people to put together a roadmap for what we need to do to solve this problem. And here's an organization that actually believes it's a solvable problem with the right approaches and the right investments. And so I was watching the work that was happening and and obviously really excited about it. And Project Singular was an opportunity where they, they were looking for a program director and asked me if I might be interested. And I was incredibly interested. So I wasn't here from, from the start, but fairly soon thereafter. And it's just, I have said to people with great sincerity that up until the launch of additional ventures with this research roadmap and seeing, uh, you know, some of the investments that the foundation was starting to make, I have felt such little hope for single ventricle discoveries for all of Jake's life until very recently. And now seeing some of the things that are happening, work that you guys are doing, work that's happening at Additional Ventures, the Fontaine Outcomes Network, and seeing all these different initiatives. And the conversations have shifted dramatically, I think. And for the first time in Jake's life, I feel hope. And I don't know that we're going to make discoveries in Jake's lifetime. I just, I don't know that we will. But I do believe we'll make discoveries in Micah's lifetime. And in the younger generation's lifetime, I do believe that. So with Project Singular, let's talk about kind of what you hope to accomplish maybe in the short term, a couple of years from now, and what you yeah. hope to accomplish kind of in the long term. Yeah, great questions. Um, so in the short term, we need to, we want to launch the study or the initiative, because again, it's not really, it's building this data set to fuel many, many studies or research projects. We are planning to launch soon, but it's probably going to take us another couple of months to get a, everything ready to go. We did a test launch, kind of a soft pilot launch with a very small group of patients and families. We learned a ton from them, which was incredibly important about some ways that we wanted to make improvements in the website, as well as in the process of kit delivery and mailing the kits out, getting them back, the sequencing, all of that. So that we can really make the process as easy for patients and families as possible. And so we've taken time, additional time to kind of make those changes. And so I would say by spring to early summer, we will launch. So that's our first goal is to get over the start line of a public launch. 
have the website open, be recruiting patients and families to participate. And we'll do our recruitment in a variety of ways. It'll certainly be done by social media, word of mouth, patient advocacy organizations like yourself. We hope that we'll spread word about this. Clinicians, we have flyers and brochures that will be posted in clinics. We hope clinicians will talk to their patients about it. So a variety of methods. So we'll get launched. We'll start to get people sequenced and get data in. And really, as soon as there is data in the data set, we will open it up for researchers. As I said, it will be de-identified data only and all qualified researchers. So if you have an identification with NIH to be a researcher that NIH recognizes, you'll be able to access our data set. You'll apply to access it and you'll, you'll be able to access it. But as I said, for free. There will be cloud compute costs. So a researcher that goes to the data set will have to pay to use that data, manipulate the data. Those are pretty nominal costs, but those costs will exist. But we'll also have, we're going to have a program where we can provide some credits for that, some free cloud compute time. And then we'll probably also launch an RFP program where we will provide grant funding for researchers to answer specific questions utilizing the Project Singular data set. So I think in terms of your your question of short-term, kind of medium-term, long-term, in the shortest-term goals is to get launched and go live. I would say the next sort of intermediate goal is to start to have data in there and have researchers start accessing it. Moving beyond that would be to have an RFP grant program in place and likely also to do maybe some data hackathons where we get groups of teams of researchers together to really dig into the data. And I think ultimately, we hope to have at least, as I said, 5,000 patients and their immediate families registered or enrolled in participating. And the most important goal is to make discoveries that help us understand the genetic causes of single ventricle. Well, I like everything I heard there. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. (laughs) So additional ventures and Project Singular is one project within Additional Ventures. Are you uh, working with Additional Ventures on anything else or is that kind of like your baby right now? And Yeah, this is kind of, this is my baby right now, but it is one piece of the work that we're doing at Additional Ventures. And I certainly have an opportunity to, we work very closely as a team. We're a relatively small team. We work together and sort of always have our hands a little bit what we at least know what each other are working on. But we've got, you know, as I said, a couple grant programs that some of our team members are working on to fund researchers who are doing incredible research in single ventricle, some of them looking at causation, some of them looking at some of the complications, some of them looking at the clinical outcomes and trying to figure out how we can make improvements there. And then we've got our infrastructure investments. And I do have the opportunity to interact a little bit with the Action Network. Certainly, Fontaine Outcomes Network, I work with very closely, again, as a volunteer, but I'm certainly very closely working with them and the FORCE Network at Boston Children's. But yeah, Project Singular is a full-time baby to be to be working on at this point. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the Fontaine Outcomes Network. So to you, what is the, what is the Fontaine Outcomes Network? To me, I think of it in, in two ways that are really, really important. It is both a, a longitudinal registry, and I'll talk what I, about what I mean by that. So a longitudinal registry and a learning health network. I guess primarily I would say it's a learning health network that has a longitudinal registry within it. So what does a learning health network mean? It's, you know, it's similar to, it's built on the models that MPCQIC has been built on and other learning health networks. It is really a, a framework where you've got clinicians and patients and families and uh, quality improvement researchers 
working together, uh, co-producing everything together and learning in real time from the research and really implementing in the clinic. So it's really about getting, you know, bench to bedside as quickly as possible um, and quality improvement initiatives that are part of the work that's happening. And then you, co- you collect data. So you collect data to drive research and also to drive the quality improvement work that's happening. The longitudinal registry is incredibly exciting and ambitious. So it's really saying, you know, we're going to enroll Fontan patients across at, at any, we're going to enroll them at any point in their trajectory. But the goal is to follow them across their lifespan and to be collecting data from them across that lifespan. And so we'll really be able to have data about the complications and when they occur and how often they occur. And we'll be able to really do amazing science looking at all single ventricle patients. And as I said, across their entire lifespan. And so FON is both of those things. It's really primarily, as I said, this learning health network. We will have quality improvement initiatives that we will be able to launch early on. So we'll be doing initiatives about our focused. The first one will be focused on physical activity and exercise. And really looking at what are some of the be- what are some of the best practices that are currently happening or or promising practices of how clinicians are really working with their patients around uh, physical activity, and then can we really roll out and test and model some of those interventions in other in other areas and really work on that as a learning health network and hopefully drive really big improvements similar to what's been done you know as I said with NPCQIC where we really moved the needle pretty dramatically on reducing mortality. And we did that through research and also quality improvement initiatives. So that's what FON's goals really are. Yes. We got to be at the uh, Fontana Outcomes Network learning session in Chicago, and we got to see the presentation for the physical uh, activity. You want to talk to the some of the leads on that. That was very good. Very good stuff. It's so important. That topic is just, uh, I know we had a recent cardiology visit where, you know, they were talking to Jake about physical activity and exercise. And the acknowledgement was made, you know, when you were born and when you were little, we actively discouraged you from exercising. And now we're pushing you to exercise, but it's so hard, like, it's so hard for them to do that. And we just have so much, I think, to learn and uncover. But I agree, I think the presentation, the the co-leads of that work group are doing, they're going to do amazing work. I think it's going to be an incredibly important initiative. Yeah, because we, I mean, we're really making the 180 on absolutely where we've come from so i guess beyond the physical activity one are there any projects within fawn that you are involved with that you're excited about yeah so right now our the primary focus is really about getting patients enrolled getting sites the participating sites to have all of their you know the regulatory stuff in place the irb approval all the things that they need to do in order to start enrolling consenting patients and so that's really our focus right now and I have described it recently as saying, you know, it feels like it's taken us a long time to get to this point. And yet it is complicated. And I do appreciate that. But it's exciting to finally see we're at the point where data is starting to come in. We don't have really data in, but we have patients in the registry. So that's been really my main focus been working with the executive leadership team on that piece to make sure that we start getting patients in and data in. The other kind of quality improvement initiatives that will follow after physical activity and exercise there's going to be one on liver health. I think that one is going to be incredibly important and valuable. You know, currently, as I'm sure you know, we, we don't have any consistency about how our patients are, are screened or followed when it comes to liver health. 
Um, and we don't really have any good interventions of what to do about it, even when we know the liver isn't doing well. And so liver health is a really important one. Um, and that will follow, I think, pretty soon after physical activity. But I personally think the physical activity initiative is going to have, I think the potential there is transfer, it could be transformational for patients and families. And I also think what I am most excited about, or excited, I don't know if it's what I'm most excited about, but I'm very excited about the fact that when FON was, was designed, patients and families pushed really hard to say, we can't just focus on the physical health. It's got to be physical health and functioning, the neurodevelopmental and cognitive stuff has to, those issues have to be part of it as well as mental health and resilience. And we were really clear that it wasn't enough to just improve longevity. If our kids are surviving, but they're not thriving, what have we given them? What have we get, you know, we've, we've just not really made things much better. And so our framework within FON is to focus on all three of those pillars. And to me, that's an incredibly exciting, it's, it's incredibly ambitious, but it's also incredibly exciting. So I really do look forward to making improvements in all three of those areas and, and having a 28 year old and have, you know, so I've got this sort of the benefit of a lot of years in the, in the rear room, right? Yeah, I know really, really clearly that some of those neuro, neurodevelopmental issues and the mental health struggles can be, can be way more difficult to handle often than the physical issues going along the single ventricle. Just, you know, we're talking about 180s with the physical stuff. That's been my own kind of personal 180. When I first, you know, when we first started the foundation, Mike Mason Foundation, and, you know, we're looking to support folks, there was starting to be this shift towards mental health, both for families and for and for mental and emotional health, you know, and for families and for patients. And the time I was like, what are we doing? We need to do the physical, you know, it's all, it needs to be healthcare and physical and, and all that stuff. And the more I've lived it, A, and, <laughs> and, I've really dug in and, and seen some of the research and the stuff come out of it. And, you know, the reality is that stress makes everything worse. Whatever health condition you may or may not have, stress can, can give you health conditions. It can, it can exacerbate them, you know, and, and all of that ties back to mental health, mental, emotional health. I've really changed my attitude towards those efforts because before it felt to me like this is a wasted, you know, wasted time or something we can solve later. And now I'm like, no, it really does need to be a hand in hand kind of a thing. Yeah, I think so. And I agree. I think, and I think that's been, you know, 180 in the field as well. Like, I think there was just this real, mostly a focus on improving our surgical techniques and our post pre-op care and post-op care and really like the clinical care. And that's incredibly important. They have to survive to do anything, right? They do. And that's all incredibly important. But again, with hindsight for me being 2020, I can look back and see, and often, I think it's the combination of the neurodevelopmental challenges combined with mental health, how one really feeds into the other. Those challenges, you know, if you look at the executive function challenges that most of them have or many of them have, you look at the learning issues in school, all of those things, like the toll that that takes combined with they're living with a life-threatening disease, that's a lot to manage for a patient. And the trauma for patients and families, as you said, the stress and the trauma of living the experience. Um, you know, people talk about PTSD for single ventricle patients and families. And I, it's not PTSD because we're never through it. It's never done, right? <laughs> yeah. It's continuing trauma. Yeah. It's the T TSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
So kind of the same question, but on the Fawn side, what are you hoping to accomplish with Fawn in the short term, medium, long term? Yeah, short. I mean, I'm calling it short term. I don't know how long it's going to take. Hopefully not long, not much longer. But I would say for all of our, I think we're up to 31 participating centers to have all of those centers enroll actively enrolling patients and putting data into the database. That would be our most immediate and launch the quality improvement initiative for physical activity and exercise. That would be our short-term goals. I would say my, my priority that I would prioritize. And I would say in the medium term, you know, really thinking about getting researchers to start just to start digging into the data that's in there. As soon as we've got enough data where researchers can start to analyze that, utilize that. And that we can really, as a network, do, you know, similar to what NPCQIC has done, where, where we've got, we're looking as a network, we're looking at certain outcome measures and tracking those and really looking at each center is going to be able to look at how they're performing compared to everyone else and say, wow, that center up, this center is doing something. They're a little bit stronger than us in this area. What can we learn from them? Right. And we as a network will be able to also set goals where we can say, we should be able to boost this measure up, right? Like, let's improve this. Let's get more patients exercising regularly. Let's improve stress test outcomes. I'm making this up. I'm spitballing it. But I think setting those benchmarks, I guess, as a network would be what I would say would be the sort of medium term. And the longer term is to start integrating and sharing data with other networks. So the other Cardiac Networks United networks, Project Singular, to really be able to integrate data in some way so that we've got this really rich phenotypic clinical and genetics data sets that we can really start doing some very, very deep research with. I'll tell you personally what I would like to see happen. And this is something I, I literally tell everybody who will listen to me because <laughs> it's an idea, me and one of the other board members when we formed the organization, looking at the data problem, what we wanted to do was build an app on the phone that a, a parent or a patient could access and just upload their data. And so you have, you know, permissions already there because it's the patient or the family doing it, right? So they own the data and they're handing it off. And then it just goes into the system. And then to tie that in with devices like, you know, my watch, which takes my my EKG and my blood oxygen saturation and, and, you know, who knows what else in the future and just have this constant stream of data. So once a person is signed up in the registry, they're just constantly filling out data points because the the one thing you'll never hear an engineer say is, oh, I've got enough data. I've got enough data, right? You, you always need more data. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is a rare disease. And so we've got relatively small numbers of patients that we can learn from, right? And so the more data, the more patients that we have data from, the better. I think what you're describing is the longer term hope of FON is that we will have patients inputting some of their own data, you know, some patient reported outcomes data that they can be entering into the database. And I think that that vision of, again, adding to that data set and longitudinal registry to have patients contributing some of that data would be incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And Apple Watch or devices, other devices, Fitbits, I don't know, whatever it is, right? But wearable technology certainly could be integrated at some point potentially as well. But I think if we've got the one place that is all single ventricle and we've got people registered, you're right, and consented, 
we then can think about some of these other ways to bring in data directly from patients and families. Yeah, I think just looking at what they've done in the um, diabetic community with the devices they have now is, is pretty incredible. For sure. Okay, so I, you know, I think you've kind of covered this in bits and pieces kind of everywhere, but so this is more of an over, overarching question, but what do you personally hope to accomplish in the world of CHD and, and single yeah. venture? My ultimate vision is that, you know, we talk about additional ventures, we talk about solving single ventricle. That's my hope, that we will have more than palliative care for patients. My dream is that that would be in Jake's lifetime enough to impact him, obviously. But as I said earlier, that's not why I'm in this. This is more about trying to make the experience better for those who come after us and get, and really taking what we've learned and put it to use, I guess. But yeah, I hope that there are, are curative solutions that will be developed and that might be devices and it could be medicines. It could be a combination of those, but something that will enable, I mean, I, I dream of a day where a parent getting this diagnosis for their child is told it's okay. We can cure this. We can cure this. That would be incredible. And, you know, again, I don't know that that will happen in Jake's lifetime, but I, I do believe it will happen in Micah's lifetime. And so I really, I feel very humbled and tremendously honored to be a part of that in some small way. And so my goal is about just contributing to that and to be the, where needed to be the squeaky wheel to remind people that we need to move with urgency and that we need to, as you said, share our data and we need to work for the greater good. That's my goal and my hope. And, um, you know, I don't know how many more years I have in my professional career, but I would love to spend the rest of it, whatever, however much time I have left, focused on this this problem so that we can, and really, hopefully, by the time I'm, by the time I retire, I don't know when that's ever going to happen, Patrick, <laughs> but maybe someday I'll retire. I hope this problem is solved. And I, and I believe that it will be solved. I don't know how long that will take us, but I do believe it's possible. Okay. So this is a, a curveball question I ask. Because ultimately, one of the target or the target audience is parents. We have a lot of folks come into the communities, you know, just diagnosed, and the cardiologist did not paint a very good picture for both short term and long term, or maybe just short term. And so, uh, the question I have for you is if you have somebody like that, what would you say to them? Oh, I would say that there is such tremendous hope. And that so many of these patients are, they're doing really well. And they have lives that are really, really rich and full. I would say that if I'm honest, in my experience, Jake's heart disease created a lot of trauma for us as a family, but it also made us incredibly strong. And Jake's life is incredibly, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. And so I guess I would say, you know, statistics are just that. They're statistics. There's many, 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 many kids with this disease who are doing really, really well and love their lives and uh, hang on to hope and lean into hope. I think that's really incredibly important because without it, you can't get through this journey. And it is a hard journey, but it's also a beautiful one. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. <laughs> it answers it very well. Very well. Okay. Uh, last question. So what city do you live in these days? We're in Massachusetts. We live in a uh, small town called Ipswich, Massachusetts. Okay. Ipswich. Okay. 
So Sam and Ipswich or, or the closest big town. Um, what's the best, best place to go to get food? <laughs> best restaurant. Oh gosh. Now you threw me a total curveball. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's see. I mean, so if you're, if you ask my family this question, right. If you ask my husband and Jake and I, cause we, we live here in Ipswich, uh, the best restaurant, they would highly recommend two places, Woodman's, which is fried seafood. And it's like, it's like renowned Woodman's seafood. It's all deep fried, so it's not my favorite thing, <laughs> but they rave about it. And then there's a little place called the Choke Bridge Pub that they think is like top notch. It's like the place where everybody everybody knows everybody. So that's, I guess those would be the places. Good. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to say thank you very much uh, for joining us. Did you have anything else you, you'd like to share? Oh, just a big thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for the work that the um, Micah Mason Foundation is doing. It's it's just so important. I think not just that you're in, not just that you're making an investment in in this space, but that you're pushing the pushing on collaboration and data sharing and data democratization and all the things that are so incredibly essential for us to make progress. So thank you for all of that. Well, you're welcome. And and I want to say, you know, personally, both your story. And all the things you've done has been extraordinarily inspiring to myself and to our family. Just the, I always feel like there are roadblocks for parents to get involved and not nearly as many today as I'm sure there were when you first got into it. And they aren't as bad today because of you uh, and the other kind of pioneer parents. And so, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much for all the work you've done over the years. Thank you, Patrick. That is incredibly kind. So thank you. Thank you. And someday I would love to meet Micah. We'll get Micah and Jake together. Definitely. We'll go to the Chope Bridge pub or Woodman's. We'll, yeah. You can come here and we'll go there. Yeah, I absolutely. like it. I like it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, dear listener, for joining us for this episode of Sharing the Hope from the Micah Mason Foundation. I'm your host, Patrick Mason. If you'd like more information about the Fontan Outcomes Network, head to the web, fontanoutcomesnetwork.org. And if you'd like more information about Additional Ventures, their website is additionalventures.org. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to micamasonfoundation.org and click on the donate button. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you.